Have you ever seen a haunted house? You know the kind I mean. And take them back into the past, into the days of the, the pirates, you know, where they, the whole Caribbean area was full of pirates and they were always sacking towns and things. Creepy creeps with eerie eyes. Start to shriek and harmonize. Goblins and ghoulies from last Halloween. It's witchcraft. Ladies and gentlemen, bats and ghouls. It's time to celebrate the spookiest time of year with some of your favorite Disney characters. Please remain seated in your doom buggy. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. A dimension of mind. You're moving into a land of both shadow and substance, of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into... WDW Radio. Your information station. Welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I'm your host, Lou Mangiello, author of the Walt Disney World Trivia Books, and thank you for tuning in once again. This is show number 38 for the week of October 28th, 2007. We're going to have a lot of fun this week with some segments to help celebrate the Halloween season, all backed with some fun Disney sound effects, audio clips, and music. First, well, the news from Walt Disney World may not be spooky, but we'll talk about Disney's efforts to help the victims of the Southern California wildfires, the new look coming to Disney's Hollywood Studios, and more. And maybe our trip over to the Walt Disney World room reel isn't all that scary either, but there are some interesting developments to cover. Things do get a little creepier as Tim Foster and I take a fun-filled look at the top 10 spookiest moments in Walt Disney World. And then, just when you thought Mickey's not-so-scary Halloween party wouldn't be scary, we look at a character connection to examine a man whose face is legendary because it isn't there. The Headless Horseman. Jeff and I will look at his role in a Disney animated film and both the films and his many connections to the Walt Disney World Resort. I'll answer some of your emails that, for the most part, have nothing to do with Halloween and play some of your voicemails at the end of the show. So as always, sit back, relax, and enjoy this not-so-scary episode of the WDW Radio Show. The first bit of Walt Disney World news this week is ironically not about Walt Disney World, but something that I felt bore mentioning because the Walt Disney Company pledged last week to contribute $2 million to restore the burned areas and help the victims of the Southern California wildfires. Disney said it would also provide $200,000 in donations to the American Red Cross for immediate relief efforts. The rest of the money would be distributed later on a case-by-case basis to groups for rebuilding and restoration, and it might include things like replanting trees or replacing burned parks and community centers. Disney also planned to distribute packages of toys and books for kids who have been displaced by the fire, and also said they'd be sending Disney characters to shelters this week to help cheer up youngsters. Personally, I want to say that my thoughts and prayers go to any of the listeners from that area that may have been affected by the fire or who have friends and family in that San Diego area. 
Back to Walt Disney World, the Iron Spike Room, which has been a hidden treasure and something that I've always enjoyed over at the Villas at Wilderness Lodge, has been renamed this, this past week to the Carrollwood Pacific Room by Michael Brogy, who has recently appeared on the WDW radio show. He is the son of Imagineer Roger Brogy. And this, was, this change was made to honor Walt's love of trains. If you've ever been to the room, you'll see that it features lots of items and photographs relating to Walt's love of trains. There's also an actual car from his Carrollwood Pacific Railroad, which we had in his backyard in the Holmby Hills section of Los Angeles. The uh, new plaque in front of the room says Carlwood Pacific. It's green and red and says a fair weather route on it. I know that many members of the Carlwood Pacific Historical Society, of which I am a member, actually went out specifically for the event. And if you have never been to what is now the Carlwood Pacific Room, again, it's over at the villas at the Wilderness Lodge. You don't need to be staying there to go and experience it. It's just a nice, quiet, small, out-of-the-way room. It's got a fireplace. Like I said, it's got all this train memorabilia. You can just go kind of sit quietly and relax. Um, and if you're staying in, either in the villas or in the regular Wilderness Lodge, you can go and enjoy the room at any time. Moving towards the big name change coming up in January, Walt Disney World has unveiled the new logo for Disney's Hollywood Studios. It features Mickey Mouse holding a clapboard and is going to replace the MGM Leo the Lion logo that has been with at the park since opening day in 1989. Studios Vice President Michael O'Gratton says Mickey still plays a prominent role for us and Hollywood now truly is our middle name. I'll post a picture of it in the show notes so you can get an idea exactly of what the logo is going to look like. I would expect that you'll probably start seeing merchandise with the logo probably right after the first of the year. Staying over at the studios and talking about changes coming next year, it looks as though the new Block Party Bash Parade is going to start at the studios, not at the first of the year, but probably on or about March 14th, 2008. It is going to now be the 3 o'clock parade. Uh, The last day it's going to be performing over at California Adventure is going to be January 6th for anybody that may be out in California. And finally, Disney has just confirmed a rumor that I've been speaking about for the past few weeks, as it looks like the reopening of Spaceship Earth has in fact been delayed and has now been pushed back to February 19th, 2008. So any chances of being able to see this during the holiday season, for those of us who are going down for a mouse fest and looking forward to it, it looks like that is not going to happen again. You're now looking to mid-late February before that attraction reopens. So that's going to do it for this week's news. If you have any news that you want to share or anything that you want to discuss, you can either email me or go and discuss it over the, in the DisneyWorldTrivia.com forums. Just a couple of quick rumors over at the Walt Disney World Rumor Mill. First, over at Disney's Animal Kingdom, the rumor is now that Primeval World, oddly enough, is going to undergo a semi-major renovation for possibly up to two months late next year. Now, at this point, I am not sure what the refurbishment may entail, if it's going to be any sort of a re-theming at all, but it is going to be down, like I said, for possibly up to two months. As more details emerge, I, of course, will report on what I hear. From Brian Ripper over at the All About the Mouse podcast, he wrote to me and said, Lou, I just got back from Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, and I saw something interesting at Cosmic Rays. I don't know if you knew about this or reported on it already, but this goes along with your news about Nintendo DS technologies becoming available at the parks. At Bay 3 at Cosmic Rays, there are Nintendo DS units attached to the register to allow guests to do something while they wait in line. Now there's also a sign on them that says something to the effect of new Disney software for Nintendo DS. So it seems like they're just loaded up with demos for people to play with. Somehow I don't see this helping out the line situation on crowded days, 
but it's interesting nonetheless. Brian, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I can't imagine that they would have Nintendos there for people to start playing while they're in line um, and, and actually take down and start using as opposed to maybe just demo the software. But then again, why would they just have it on such a small screen? So this is something I, I would definitely like to keep our eye on. If anybody is down there, happens to see these, gets to actually use them at all, by all means, please let us know exactly what kind of software has been loaded on them and what you can do. And if you have a chance to talk to cast members, maybe find out a little bit more. Finally, in light of the success of the Epcot 25th anniversary events, this is the inevitable rumor that you knew would be coming sooner or later, as rumors are now beginning to swirl that Disney is planning to have a celebration for Disney's Animal Kingdom's 10th anniversary on April 22nd, 2008, much like they did for Epcot. Now, at this time, it's also been rumored that they may launch the rumored nighttime parade, although I would expect that that to be officially announced much earlier in the year, probably at the press event. Uh, again, this is just a, a very, very, you know, when I put rumor, big neon sign, rumor, Disney has not announced anything officially. This may very well just be some wishful thinking on uh, on some people's parts. But again, as always, we'll keep our eye on this and any other rumors. And if you hear a rumor that you want to share, you can call into the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. You can email me at lou at wdwradio.com or talk about it in the forums over at disneyworldtrivia.com. <laughs> One of my favorite holidays during the year is Halloween, and one of the very best places to enjoy the season is, of course, Walt Disney World. The park is decorated in fall colors, and Mickey's Not-So-Scary is arguably one of the best of the hard-ticketed events. And while the party itself might be not-so-scary, there are some things in Walt Disney World that are downright spooky. So this week, we're going to do a top 10 list once again, this time focusing on the top 10 spookiest moments in Walt Disney World. And to help me with the list is Tim Foster from GuideToTheMagic.com. He's been on the show before. Tim, I want to welcome you back. Thanks, Lou. Tim, this was actually your idea. This, you are the one that came up with uh, the top 10 spookiest moments. Scary, huh? Pardon wow. the... Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> insert rim shot here. So. So what we did is we kind of um, combined our, our two lists, and there's obviously going to be some overlap. And we're going to talk about some things that maybe you may not have noticed or considered spooky. Um, again, spooky in quotes being a kind of relative term as to what somebody considers spooky. But um, I, I'm Tim, what do you say? I go first, and then we will kind of just go back and forth and take the list from there. You take it away. All right, this is kind of in no particular order for me, but one of the things that came to my mind when you suggested the idea was something that people might not consider, and like a lot of the things we might talk about, I think this is downright spooky, and it's the caves over at Tom Sawyer Island. And if you've ever been to the Injun Joe's Caves, they're very dark and they're very long and windy and, and they're very not, not very well lit and there's some spooky sounds kind of going in the background, especially if you're a big person because there's not a lot of headroom in there, is pretty spooky. I think, I think it's pretty scary for adults and kids alike. Now, Tim, I say this is one of these overlooked things. Have you, a lot of people haven't been to Tom Sawyer Island. Have you ever gone or have you ever gone with your kids? I've looked at it many times. From afar? But haven't, but haven't <laughs> ventured on the raft. It's always too crowded for me. 
And I'm and and frankly, it's a little scary looking. Well, see, there you go. go. <laughs> You've proven the point. Thank you very much, everybody. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you definitely should go and check it out, adults and kids. And it's it's cool, especially if you go maybe, um, especially during this time of year when it's a little bit cooler. Uh, it's not obviously as crowded. Go. Um, you know, later in the evening as it starts getting dark, I should qualify it. It's not open at night. You can only go when it's kind of dusk. It closes at dusk, so... But, all right, so Tim, go ahead. You you go next with your first of the um, spookiest moments. Well, we're going to go not too far from Tom Sawyer Island. We're going to take a walk over to Frontierland. And like at Tom Sawyer Island, this is something best done in at nighttime, but you'll find most of the stuff on this list is that way. And we're actually going to head to the two mountains, Thunder Mountain and Splash Mountain. And uh, first we'll go into Thunder Mountain, and again, you got to do this when it's dark outside. But as you take off and go into the set of caves, it's incredibly spooky. It's pitch black in there when it's nighttime out. And you just get the bats flying around your head, and you see the dripping pools. It's pretty spooky. And I'll tell you, when you get out of there and you start racing around in the dark, it's pretty creepy there too. It's neat though. Everything's lit up differently than you see it at, at the, during the daytime. And even if you're not creeped out by it, you definitely should ride it at night just for a change of pace. Um, but as soon as you're done that, you want to head over to Splash Mountain. Now the beginning of that's okay. You're inside. Brer Rabbit, Brer Bear, everything's nice and colorful. But when you get to that last climb and the vultures are staring at you, unlike the daytime, there's no light at the end of that tunnel at night. And it gets pretty spooky in there. Um, but I will say, when right when you crest over the top, um, take one peek out, and you'll get a nice glimpse of Cinderella Castle and Space Mountain lit up at night. But watch pretty quick, because you're going to fall down that waterfall pretty quick, and get splashed and get wet, and uh, have a good time singing zippity doo dah when you're done. But for a brief moment there, it was pretty spooky. I agree, specifically about Thunder Mountain. I think this is one of even not for the spook factor, just one of the best attractions to ride at night because it's a completely different experience. And you mentioned the lighting and it's just exceptional. And for a totally non-spooky experience, if you can kind of time either of those two things, when Wishes is going on, uh, you get some pretty unique views of the fireworks from there. So, no, That's beautiful. Like If you if you crested over the uh, the top at uh, Splash Mountain with the fireworks going off, that's that's pretty incredible. Yeah, again, time. And pretty, a pretty once in a lifetime <laughs> exactly. thing, too, because you, you got to hit that one pretty good. So, Well, the good the one good thing, though, is because so many people are over there lined up for wishes already, the line usually isn't too long. So it's actually a right. great time to ride both of those attractions. Right. So, all right, let's go, go to next on the list. And I kind of said this one to you sort of tongue in cheek because it was a it was a little bit of a dig towards stitches yeah. <laughs> towards stitches great escape and i said it's scary <laughs> i meant scary in a you know boy where's the story in this attraction kind of way mm-hmm. but it really you know it can be a little creepy whether the smell of chili dogs freaks you out or just having those um restraining shoulder things on top of you kind of pushing down and the lights going out and and stitch kind of breathing on you and running behind you uh, it's no alien encounter, mind you, but still pretty creepy nonetheless, especially for, for the young folks. Right, and uh, Alien Encounter was actually one of my favorite attractions there, and that, that, of course, was pretty scary for those who remember it. The dripping blood, and I don't want to go into it. It was pretty, it was pretty spooky. <laughs> but um, it, uh, it does remind me of uh, where I'm taking us next, and that's over to uh, the uh, Disney MGM Studios to the Great Movie Ride, where, speaking of science fiction, you can relive... Uh, 
some of the scary moments in Alien. And uh, that was one of the first scary science fiction movies I saw when I was a kid. And and that was scary in the movie theater, totally dark, and you're in the dark spaceship with the alien running around. And uh, it's it's pretty neat getting to that part in the ride, and you're in the you're in the the maze of corridors, and the Nostromo, and the sirens are going off, and and it's funny because I know where the aliens are. There's a few of them, but I keep looking in the wall, like is it there? Where's it coming out? You know, is it that pipe? Is it that pipe? Is it this one? And hearing everybody scream as the alien drops down from you overhead uh, is, is quite chilling. Um, but in the great movie ride, I know too, that's not the only thing that's scary in there. Like, right from that section, you go into the Raiders of the Lost Ark section. And uh, if you keep an eye on your guide, who at that point is either a gangster or a cowboy, depending on which car you're in, has a pretty creepy fate awaiting them as they go to try and take the jewel off in the Raiders of the Lost Ark scene. And then, of course, after that, you have the horror movie scene itself, full of mummies and spiders and oh, all kinds of creepy things. I get the chills thinking about it. But but uh, things do perk up when you get into Munchkin Land. And well, I was going to say, I think I think I think the Munchkin scene is, is is scary to a lot of people. Well, the Munchkins <laughs> might scare you, I know. But but let's not forget the Wicked Witch of the West there, which she's scary. But actually, if uh, if, if you're not too frightened, look at her because she's one of the most amazing animatronic figures that that's, that is in Walt Disney World. It, 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 you swear to it, it's really her standing in front of you. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, the, the uh, fluidity but, of her motions and the, and the I'm sorry, I was going to say the, the fluidity of, yeah. her, of her motions and the detail in her face is, is exceptional. She's one of those amazing. original A100 figures and she still holds up. So back to you, Lou. Where are we, take, where are we going now? All right, I'm going to go with the obvious choice and, you know, maybe not so scary Halloween party is a bit of a misnomer. Because I think that there's many elements from the from the party, um, and and the first thing that came to my mind that was a little bit spooky in a cool way is the haunted mansion float. I think this. I am usually not a parade guy. I think the not so scary Halloween parade is absolutely exceptional. The boo to you music is awesome, and that haunted mansion float is just out is is incredible. Yeah, it's it's. Uh... Sounds pretty creepy, Lou. <laughs> um, actually, I'm going to keep in uh, Magic Kingdom land here. Um, I'll tell you a little bit of the story about my wife, who's pretty fearless. Now, my wife will ride the rock and roller coaster over and over again. She loves that ride. It, it scares me. If I go upside down, I'm, I'm done for the day. But, but she'll do that. She does Splash Mountain. She loves it. Uh, test Track, no problem. Cali River Rapids, bring it on. She will not go on Snow White Scary Adventures. It totally scares the wits out of her. And uh, for a ride that looks like it's for kids, it's, it can actually be pretty scary. And, uh, of course, it starts right away as soon as you leave the castle, which seems all pleasant and happy. But you move right away and you see the magic mirror, and then you see the, the witch turn around and cackle at you. And, and that's pretty spooky. But moving into the next scene, I think is the scariest part of the ride, the scene where you're in the forest uh, as Snow White running through, and you see the eyes peering out at you and the flashes of lightning. And and uh, that's about where my wife starts getting a little nervous. <laughs> and, uh, of course, the, the the witch keeps popping up here and there with her apple and, and so forth. And But the scene with the cave with the dwarves is, is kind of creepy, too. I think like the munchkins in the great movie ride, the dwarves can... Maybe creepier, creepier out a little bit. Uh, to me, I think happy is a little bit too happy. 
kind of scares me sometimes. But um, but it is a it's it's generally considered a scary ride even for little kids. So even though it looks like it's a kids ride, you might want to think twice about taking the little ones on there because it can be a little intense. You know, and it kind of follows in the tradition of some of the other Fantasyland dark rides that are surprisingly scary. And obviously, it's not there anymore, but. When I saw this on your list, the other thing that came to mind was Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Right. You know, an apparently, you know, simple little children's ride where you get hit by a train and die and go to hell and meet with Satan and his demons. That's, so. that's not scary. Come on. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's um, you wouldn't necessarily suspect it, but you're right. There, there are definitely scenes in there and... and uh, you know, we say it as because we're talking about it as Halloween, but it also things kind of to keep in mind if you have young kids. That mirrored effect with the Queen is is pretty startling, especially to to young kids that are just looking to see you know Snow White and dwarfs, and all of a sudden this Queen kind of jumps out at you. So um. yeah, it's not called Scary Adventures for nothing. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. But um, one of the other things I think that is is very cool and overlooked and definitely creepy but in a fun way something if you have the time in your vacation you should definitely make the trip over to go and do it and those are the haunted hay rides over at fort wilderness i had covered this briefly in an email question somebody had sent a couple of weeks ago but during this time of year it's great and you can take a, a boat over from the magic kingdom uh, and do it it's um it, it's only about a 20 minute ride along the swamp trail but they tell you the legend of Sleepy Hollow and there's a storyteller that kind of takes you along and there's a lot of surprises along the way not in a blood-curdling scream things jumping out at you kind of way but just a very fun kind of way to tell the thing and one of those very unique kind of hidden treasures I like to call them of Walt Disney World and you know during this time of year it's, it's really really something nice you should try and do and it's appropriate for for kids and adults yeah, that sounds fun. Again, that's one thing I haven't done either because we're never there at Halloween, but definitely on my A-list of things to try next time we go down there. Tim, now that you've written a guidebook, you, you know, it's it's called Research Trip. You need to start getting the lingo down. <laughs> exactly. Well, when, you know, you get the kids out of school, you have to time it right, so... Kid, what, what kid, what kids? No kids. Kids, kids slow down the whole research process. <laughs> Unless they're carrying Understood. gear. Hey, we're all, kid, we're all kids at heart anyway, right. so... All right. Well, next on my list, I actually had a tough time picking between my top two, the, my number one. Um, holding off my number one for a second, uh, we're going to go to one of the neatest things I like to do actually at night is the Jungle Cruise. And that's another ride, like a Big Thunder Mountain. It's very different in the daytime than it is in the nighttime. And if you have a chance to go at night, definitely do it because it, it's a totally different experience than you have during the day. Uh, it's, it's totally dark. When you leave the docks on your boat, you really feel like you're heading into the deepest darkest recesses of the jungle there's no lights back there save for your little searchlight on the boat and uh, actually the you might call it the fortune fortunate opportunity to do it during a light rainstorm and there's a little mist on the water and that searchlight is cutting through and and believe me if the, you think the temple is spooky during the day that's nothing uh, compared to riding it at night. And I can't imagine it's even darker inside, but it really seems like it is when it's nighttime outside. Uh, but I got to tell you that probably the scariest thing about the Jungle Cruise for me when I rode it at night, it was during extra magic hours, which, by the way, is a great time to do all this because not only is it dark, but there aren't many people there, so it's you're alone, it's a little scary, that kind of thing. But I got into the Jungle Cruise line, and I was the only person there. 
And I walked up, got to the front, got in my boat. And the only thing scarier than the prospect of heading out in the jungle in the dark was me being alone and having to listen to the jokes all by myself. And then, you know, pretending to laugh. And But fortunately, a bunch of people came behind me and I wasn't alone. So so we all got to experience it together. So, and, and you know, But it is. It's an incredible, incredible thing to do at nighttime definitely recommend it if, if if you haven't done it it's it's a thing you'll never forget and it's one of those things too just as when you ride in the day if you get a really good skipper i mean somebody that's really on and into it and will play off the fact that you're going at night um mm-hmm. you can really get an enhanced experience when you go I've, I've had occasion to do that a few times and they take you know all those possible cues that they can get and then they have a little more leeway sometimes i think at night maybe it's just from having done it for so long or knowing that it's getting close to the end of the day. But um, they may be a little bit more liberal with the script and what they do. And uh, you can really, really have a good time. Like you said, a different experience maybe than what you get during the day. So, Yeah, I don't know. They still seem to pick on me a lot. I don't know why. but <laughs> You've got that face. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. Or, or I should stop sitting up front. Maybe that's my problem. <laughs> that's right. Quit raising your hand. That'll do it. So. <laughs> well, maybe that's part of the problem. But so, they asked me to, so I knew it. So, Well, we're getting kind of down to the last two on the top ten list. And we saved what I guess are maybe our two favorites for the top, you know, the last two. But they're the last one that we agree agree upon, we're going to cover last. But my one of the things I think is really so wonderfully done and so very creepy, if you do it just at the right time, is the Tower of Terror. And I don't mean the ride itself. But I mean the queue. If you're able to go through the full queue, through the full gardens, and you know, through um, the outside entrance to the hotel, the lighting, and again, the mist, and the background music, and the screams coming from a distance, I mean, really, really, especially if you've never seen it before, has a very kind of spooky feel to it. And uh, the way that they, the, the gardens are so kind of lush and overgrown gives you that kind of closed-in feeling. And uh, if you're in there with a bunch of people, you can definitely have a lot of fun with it and definitely something, I think, that qualifies as a, a quote-unquote spooky moment. Very spooky. I, I actually remember one of my – I, I love the walk between the Dolphin and Swan area and then the walkway over to the uh, to the MGM Studios. And one time, that's a long walk. I got caught in a rainstorm and ran for a little bit till I realized that was futile and I just decided to get wet. But seeing the Tower of Terror in the distance with the dark clouds behind it and the lightning, that even if it's during the day, is, is still pretty creepy. But um, I, I know I wanted to share one of my favorite Tower of Terror moments with you was... Uh, uh, it, this was in the morning. It didn't pl- take place at night, so it couldn't be that scary. So I'm not sure what my problem was exactly. But uh, I got on the rock and roller coaster. Uh, bef- before that, I'd picked up my fast pass for the Tower of Terror. So I intended to do rock and roller coaster and then Tower of Terror. Now keep in mind, I don't like upside down rides and flipping over and all that kind of stuff. So by the time I got done with the rock and roller coaster, stomach's a little flippy i hear all these people screaming up 13 stories above my head suffice it to say to this day i have a very crisp and unused fast pass from the tower of terror <laughs> in my wallet so it's one of my favorite souvenirs so um but my personal scariest moment takes me back to the magic kingdom again to uh pirates of the caribbean which aside from it being creepy is one of my favorite attractions of all um 
but the, particularly the beginning sequence uh, can be pretty spooky. Uh, for those who haven't seen it yet, there's a, a new effect as you start out. Of, it looks like you're about to pass under a waterfall, and the, the ghost of Davy Jones is, is hovering in the middle of it talking to you, and it's not a waterfall, of course, although don't tell the person behind you. They'll get wet and it'll be fun. Or they'll think they'll get wet and it'll be fun. But uh, it's a very impressive effect. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, you'll be astounded when you do see it. But it is kind of creepy. And, of course, the next scene is the pirate skeletons on the beach with the crabs and the seagulls. And it's actually oddly serene in its own way. But the next scene is probably my favorite in all of Walt Disney World. And that's the, the skeleton at the helm of the pirate ship with the lightning crashing in the background and the the rain raging and, and pouring all over everything. And I, I really, every time I go through it, I feel cold and I feel wet, even though I'm not, and it's probably 98 <laughs> degrees outside. But um, just looking at that, really, really spooky. And of course, the next thing you have to deal with is the drop in the dark when you can't see anything. But, you know, then Jack Sparrow comes out and he's happy and it's, you see the hairy legs and the pigs and the cats and everything's happening after that. But but that very first sequence to me is one of the most spookiest moments of Walt Disney World and I really love it. That's that's exactly what I was going to say too was the, the first scene with the skeletons with, you know, impaled on their swords and, and, and laying with the, uh, the seagulls on them is great. But the scene with the skeleton driving the boat and the wind and the music and the sound effects and the lightning something that has remained virtually unchanged for 30 some odd years still to this day is just an exceptional exceptional effect and very creepy just the way the skeleton stares out and moves and things like that um i i love like you like you said i absolutely love that scene and definitely think that alone qualifies um as, as a spooky moment or a spooky time in Walt Disney World, notwithstanding the whole rest of the ride. I'm shivering right now thinking about it. It's, it's, I'm going to have nightmares. So. <laughs> well, I'm not going to ride in the Pirates of the Caribbean next to you because, uh, you know, I don't want you jumping over and, and you know, grasping at me. as we. <laughs> I might grab on your arm or something. <laughs> but you know what, Tim, before we get to the, the piece de resistance, and I'm sure everybody kind of knows already where we're going with this. There's a yeah, couple big surprise of, coming. Yeah, shocker of all shockers here. It's, <laughs> uh, it's going to be dinosaur because we all yes. know what a scary ride that is to so many, so many adults. Um, <laughs> just can't. But you know what? I did want to <laughs> touch on a couple of other things that maybe we just passed over that still qualify as scary moments. And dinosaur for a lot of, again, young children, you know. Um, frail women and and some other podcast hosts dinosaur is a very very scary ride so it definitely i should... scream like a baby every time i go on well, that there you ride. go but at least you go on it <laughs> but oh at least i do i yeah i love that ride but oh that's scary <laughs> you know we, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about maybe some of the things that go on during mickey's not so scary halloween party uh believe it or not the fireworks again some of the very best fireworks I think some of the music and some of the narration, stuff like that, is definitely very spooky. Um, the villains mix and mingle. You have all the different villains in there. That's kind of spooky in its own way because you have all the villains and they're definitely, they play it up very, very well. To me, Breakdancing Pirates in Tomorrowland just screams scary. I don't think it gets any scarier than that. 
but um, that sounds scary. It just is. It does sound scary. And even viewing <laughs> it from <laughs> even viewing it from the TTC TTATC one way people mover. Sorry, um, <laughs> it's creepy from a distance. But I, I think the uh, the ultimate spooky moment in um, not so scary Halloween party and worth the price of admission alone is catch it from Liberty Square if you can. Watching the headless horseman take off. You know, with his head in hand and his cape flowing, is just—I mean, it's awesome. And the guy, when he gets on Main Street, I mean, he's—he's he's cooking. He is definitely <laughs> flying down there. You know, um, head in hand, but but very very spooky moment. Very very well done, and definitely could qualify that alone as a, uh, one of the best spooky moments in Disney World. Wow, uh, I know a uh, kind of a whimsical spooky moment. Uh, that just occurred to me. And my daughter liked this, uh, which was curious. And Frontierland is the Frontierland shooting arcade, which a lot of people probably overlook it because you have to pay a quarter or something to play it. But um, but it's neat. You, you have your your laser rifle, just like the ones they used in the Old West. <laughs> trusty laser rifle. But, um, but you're shooting at targets, and it's, it's a graveyard. So you've got tombstones and vultures. and uh, It's not the scariest thing in the world but it's a little, little creepy a little spooky and uh more more fun than anything it's nothing like the headless horseman racing after you but uh, but it's fun it's all relative i mean you remember we're it's talking about relative. walt disney world so it's not you know some other theme parks really play up the horror aspect and things like that but this is like i said almost a whimsical kind of spooky moment thing yeah that's but, that's kind of on the fun side yeah. but but something a lot of people do overlook so i'd like to mention it to People want to get a chance. They don't. You see that over there? Go check it out. It's kind of fun. Have but a good time. Like I said, my daughter loves it. So, I know that as we talk about this last thing, and obviously we're talking about the haunted mansion. It's no surprise there. <gasps> <laughs> Clearly, it's the mansion again, especially at night when you hear the dog howling, and if you look and you can see the figure in the window, the shadow of the figure going by, and the graveyard, and even went during the Halloween party when it's uh, got the special lighting effects. There's so much about it that is spooky, um, even more so now with the refurb. There's a lot more to it. It's brighter. You can see a lot more of the effects. You can hear a lot more of the effects. Um, some things have changed. Again, not spoiling it for people that haven't seen it, like you, Tim. <coughs> but the bride in the attic scene. I know about it, though. You can talk about I, it. I know. But, well, not everybody has. And I don't want, and I'm not, I don't want to give detail because I don't want to ruin it for anybody because I, I was very um, deliberate in not looking at videos and not reading things. And I think it enhanced my experience not knowing what was going on. Um, but you want to talk about a, a really creepy effect and not, you know, you know, whimsical creepy, but creepy, creepy effect. The uh, the bride in the attic is, is mm-hmm. exceptional. So, but I know you and I are going to talk about one thing in the attraction. It's almost kind of a throwaway to a certain degree, but I think is is really at the very, very top of the list of creepy things. It creeped me out. Um, I loved it as a kid. I love it to today, and I know you know exactly what I'm talking about. Lou, I have no idea what you're talking about. It's Little Leota. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's lots of Leotas I was going to talk about, but yeah, Little, little Leota. She gets me. The whole hurry back I, I, thing. I don't like her out there. Actually, it's funny because I have the. Um, well, it's not funny. It's scary. But I have the uh, the CD that has all the theme songs for all the rides on it, and and the haunted mansion uh, song that's on the CD, which of course is kind of a mishmash of all the different parts in it. But it ends with hurry back, hurry back. 
don't forget to bring your death certificate. And every time I see Little Yoda, I, I, Little Yoda, I hope I time it so I hear that part. Cause sometimes I don't, but um, but yeah, she's she's quite delightful in her own right. But my favorite bits about the haunted mansion, as as far as getting in that spooky mood, happen at night. And again, if you can visit during extra magic hours, especially later on as the evening wears on and people start leaving. Uh, it's really great. Even just walking around the Haunted Mansion, getting the ambiance and again, hearing the wolf and the sounds and everything like that. If you can do it during a rainstorm, it's unbelievable. As you go in with the thunder raging and the rain pouring down, it's it's an experience. It's it's unbelievable, and, and especially if there's no people there, don't be in such a rush to get to the haunted mansion. Like, take your time and look at the graveyard. And uh, next to Little Leota, the Madame Leota tombstone in the graveyard is one of my favorite things. And it's it's funny because I see people that still don't know it's there, and I see them looking at it, and you you see them. Wait, did she just? What happened? And and <laughs> you know, I explain to keep an eye on it and see what happens. And again, if you don't know what happens. I won't tell you. Just stand there and look at it and see what does happen. And that, that's one of my favorite things about it. Uh, one of my really favorite things about the Haunted Mansion, though, is the cast members that, that are unbelievable in that ride. The, they don't, don't smile. And they just look at you and they stare at you. And I think one of my daughter's favorite games has become get the cast member to smile when you're in the Haunted Mansion. She's tried that a couple times. It hasn't worked too well, but... They've also picked her on her on her a little bit too in the stretching room. Uh, move your bodies to the dead center of the room. Somehow they end up right behind my daughter and just <laughs> stare at her the whole time. Well, you, you <laughs> really really creeps her out. I don't egg it on. I don't I don't encourage that kind of thing. I don't wave them over and point to her, and I wouldn't do anything like that. But uh, but coming out of the haunted mansion when it's raining in the nighttime is is pretty wild too, and you just want to go right back on again and experience it all over again. So. Well, the other definitely, thing was... yeah, definitely my all-time favorite spooky moment. Not just my spooky moment, probably my all-time favorite attraction. There. Well, if you haven't seen it since the refurb, and if you thought the stretching room was creepy beforehand, I guarantee you, you're going to think it's it's all the more so creepy with the added effects, with the added. Sound effects, which add a whole Don't other spoil dimension. It for us, I'm Luke. not spoiling, but I'm just telling <laughs> you, um, incredibly, incredibly well done. Um, just, just amazing. So, um, you know, there was one other thing that that I wanted to mention that wasn't on the list. That again, if you go during the Halloween party, I think can be very creepy. Or if you just go at night, especially not when there's a parade going on, when Frontierland is very quiet, take the Liberty Square Riverboat and ride that at night. And you get the whole different spiel and narration going on during the Halloween party, which is very cool and very, very interesting, actually. But, I mean, it's pitch black out there. And, you know, it can, to a certain degree, be kind of creepy and kind of spooky. And and, uh, and, and I really, really enjoy it. I think that's something very much overlooked, especially at night. Uh, not to mention the riverboat is spectacular at night, just just with all its lights on and everything else. Yeah. But. You had me worried there. I thought you were going to say it's a small world there. For a <laughs> that would have been too easy. Too, too easy. So, But, um, you know, I, I'm sure there's plenty more that we missed. I'm sure other people have their own opinions of, of what qualifies 
as either a truly spooky moment or kind of a tongue-in-cheek spooky moment, I'd love for you guys to go and post over in the WDW radio message uh, forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Let us know what you think are some more spooky moments. See if there's anything on the list that we may have missed. Tim Foster from GuideToTheMagic.com, your guide to the magic for kids, as well as your other four guidebooks are available, obviously, on your website. I want to thank you for coming on. I think we should do this again. I think we should do more of these kind of fun top 10 lists and see what we can come up with and then obviously get some input from the listeners as well. Oh, definitely. We're going to have a blast with this. The idea is we're going to tell you all kinds of things you might not know about or let you see things a different way. Exactly. Just another way to try and really enhance your experience, point out some of these Uh, hidden treasures and overlooked things that you really need to take the time and experience while you're in Walt Disney World. So, Tim, I want to thank you again, buddy. Again, don't forget his website is guidetothemagic.com. Okay, thanks, Lou. If you would like to join our jamboree, there's a simple rule that's compulsory. Mortals pay a token fee. Rest in peace, the hauntings free. So hurry back, we would like your company. Hurry back, hurry back. Be sure to bring your death certificate if you decide to join us. Make final arrangements now. We've been dying to have you. (laughs) Kindly watch your step, please. Watch your step. I've a tale to tell I hope you'll follow Of a legend born in Sleepy Hollow A headless horseman rode through the night On a great black steed with a pumpkin bright It's said he's tired of his flaming top So he's looking for a head to swamp Beware, he may soon be in sight The headless horseman rides tonight With Halloween coming up, we thought we'd not do the obvious this week and focus on an attraction like the Haunted Mansion or Tower of Terror. Instead, we're going to focus on something that's really scary, like dinosaurs. No, actually, we're going to do another character connection where we take a look at a Disney character and his or her connection to the Walt Disney World theme parks. And as always, fellow geek and Walt Disney World fan Jeff Pepper is here. Scary, scary time. Let's go. So, Jeff, this week we're going to focus on, I guess, somewhat of an obscure character from Disney films, but one that's really legendary in classic folklore. So, why don't you tell us who this character is that's so appropriate for this Halloween holiday season? Well, Disney traditionally, in all their uh, animated, especially animated entertainment, didn't really do a whole lot with Halloween. Um, There's really only a couple specific instances where they actually had very, very distinct Halloween themes. And... One of them was in the 1949 movie, The Legend of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. And that was a sort of what they called the package film, where it had two different stories combined into one film. And it was Mr. Toad, which we've gone into at great length here uh, in our geek fests. 
And the other segment, uh, the Ichabod segment, refers to The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, which, as you referred to just now, uh, was a short story by Washington Irving. And uh, as most people know, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow involves uh, the schoolteacher Ichabod Crane, who has a, an encounter with the now legendary Headless Horseman. And as you said, the Headless Horseman has kind of taken his place as sort of one of those kind of scary icons of, of, of folklore. Yeah, and, and in Walt Disney World, you know, some people might be saying, well, where would you find the Headless Horseman? Is it, is it at the Haunted Mansion? Is it somewhere else? But one of the only places that you can actually see him and one of the best parts of what I think is one of the great hard ticket events is when the Headless Horseman comes riding down, blazing through uh, Liberty Square around the hub down Main Street, USA. Yeah, it's it's one of the really coolest parts of the not-so-scary, uh, Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. And it's something that a lot of people I don't think are even aware of and then when he does come zooming on past, everybody's like, whoa, <laughs> you know, what was that? <laughs> and and um, my kids, I, it's funny, is they're spooked by him. <laughs> he's, he's very creepy. And, I mean, uh, the horse moves. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this this horse is going. And uh, I know you have a little trivia about how, you know, the horses are actually trained on the route. And uh, But, I mean, that, that, that horse moves like lightning. Yeah, and, you know, it is scary. And I think because it's sometimes so dark and people don't expect it, you don't almost don't realize that, that the horseman really is headless. He is holding on with one hand, and in his other hand, he's holding his pumpkin head. And like you said, I mean, he takes off, especially when he hits that straightaway down Main Street. I mean, he's really cooking. Well, the intro, did you want to go, did you want to talk about the trivia there a little bit about the horse itself? Sure. The the horse, to my to my understanding, is... Is that the the person that's you know well it's, we're not gonna if, turn off your radios if you don't want the magic spoil the headless horseman <laughs> <laughs> but the, the headless horseman obviously he can't see what he's doing because he doesn't have a head I guess is the best way to explain it and so the horse itself knows the route you you, you just explained the uh, the route through Liberty Square and around the hub and down Main Street the horse knows the way as they say <laughs> and uh, he's um, pretty much knows where he's going and takes it takes it upon himself to get to get to the end of the route yeah and i'm not usually one of these people that for parades you know i like to stake out my spot two hours early uh but especially for this parade it is important that you get there early because he kind of kicks the parade off so you've got to get there when the parade starts because he's you know he's moving so fast he's very fleeting and he goes by very quickly to kind of kick off the parade so um, really, one of the highlights, Jeff. I, I think of of the whole party. And one, and as you said, it's he's a little bit more obscure in Disney history. Uh, the The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad isn't kind of one of the headliner animated features. Uh, it's kind of more of a secondary thing, even though it's a great, great movie. And and the Ichabod Crane sequence in it is very, very good. It's narrated by Bing Crosby, and uh, one of the highlights of the sequence is um, the song "The Headless Horseman." And again great great song that is just kind of under the radar um in in disney history uh the story pretty much just to give everybody an understanding and kind of a little bit of trivia behind the character of the headless horseman is basically ichabod crane is the the kind of nerdy school teacher that arrives in town falls in love with katrina uh, the lovely katrina and his rival for her affections is the big town bully brom bones now as we kind of expect brom bones we more or less believe to be the man behind the headless horseman as it were um but 
you know how that what I was alluding to is the reference to Halloween is this all takes place at a Halloween party Halloween night uh, basically the rivalry for Katrina between Ichabod and Brom Bones is they're kind of dueling over her over the course of the party and when the party ends and Ichabod goes to ride home uh, he's got to make according to the legend of the headless horseman you got to make it over the bridge um, and get to the other side of the bridge or else you're, you're gonna lose your head and the song itself has the very very clever lyrics if you if you listen very close to it um, the lyrics are very very clever Bing Crosby sings it in the film as I, he narrated the sequence but Thurl Ravencroft had also done a, uh, a version of it and Thurl Ravencroft is famous for the vocals on uh, Grim Grinning Ghosts and he has a wonderful wonderful rendition of it which we will play a little bit for the folks and um, very good very clever song but uh, that's pretty much you know the gist of the Headless Horseman yeah, and it's a great, you know, I love this DVD because you get two, again, like you said, somewhat relatively obscure films uh, with Mr. Toad and the Headless Horseman, but both of which I really enjoy and could, could kind of stand on their own, um, you know, all by themselves, even though they're, they were kind of, like you said, these um, sort of package films of, of the 40s. Uh, but let's talk about their connection again to Walt Disney World because it does go beyond just the Headless Horseman, and you can actually see and see references to these characters in and around the parks throughout the year. Yeah, Liberty Square is naturally the setting for um, the the characters from the film and, and references to them. Uh, Liberty Square is funny because there there aren't a lot of uh, a whole lot of Disney films to draw characters from, much in the way you had Davy Crockett. Um, uh, Texas John Slaughter, those type of names cropped up a lot because of Disney's heavy, heavy um, use of westerns, especially during the early days of the TV show in the 50s. Uh, Liberty Square didn't quite have an, that uh, level of resources to pull from. Uh, one, you know, I believe uh, one reference that was around in the early days, and help me out with this because I was trying to remember today, was Johnny Tremaine. Johnny Tremaine right. Was there a Tremaine Silversmith or Silver Shop exactly. in the early days? Yep. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and again, there was not a whole lot of other material to draw from for you know colonial America that this was represented in in the um, Legend of Sleepy Hollow, so it was natural that they kind of made a couple references here. Um, if you want to be my guest and tell the tell the folks, yeah, there, there's a couple of them that that may not be all that obvious again unless you look very close. Let's let's take the the easiest one. Uh, as soon as you cross from the hub over the bridge that you made reference to again like in, in the legend itself, there is Sleepy Hollow Refreshments. And it's a, it's a little kind of walk-up counter-service place where you can get um, the oh-so-fat-free funnel cakes and some coffee drinks, cappuccino drinks, um, stuff like that, which are great, actually, especially if you're, you're sitting there watching the parade. Yeah, traditional colonial American food. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> cappuccino, cappuccino yeah. and funnel cakes. <laughs> But, but there's other references, and there's one actually located directly across the way from Sleepy Hollow Refreshments, and that's over at the Christmas shop. And we've talked about this, I think, a little bit in the past, and we're going to kind of probably look at this shop closely in another segment. But the shop is really made up of three smaller shops that are kind of tied into one. And one of those shops, and you can see by the sign outside, has music and voice lessons. And who is the, who is the director that gives those lessons? It is our own very favorite school teacher, Ichabod Crane. That's right. This, yeah, this is easily, easily one of my very favorite details in all of Walt Disney World. It, it is so clever and so subtle, 
And again, it's an it's a more obscure reference. It's not over the top obvious to a point in Disney history as, as so many other things in, in Walt Disney World are. So I really, really enjoy it. Yeah, very overlooked. I mean, even though the sign's prominent, if you look very closely, you'll actually see that what's holding up the sign is uh, it's like a music, like a clef note symbol thing. Yeah. <laughs> Forgive my... And the, actual, my... <laughs> and the actual sign itself is shaped like an open book. Right, exactly. Um, and that's actually not the only reference that there once was in the parks, specifically to I- Ichabod Crane, because at one point there was a store called Ichabod's Landing, and that sold magic tricks and masks uh, things like that that you would have found also like in the House of Magic on Main Street. That store was located in Liberty Square for a number of years too. Yeah, it's um, they the retail focus is so totally shifted that that so much of those things like the Johnny Tremaine Silversmith and that particular shop have kind of gone by the boards. Now, do you know, Jeff, where else you can find the haunted both both the um, Ichabod Crane as well as the Headless Horseman? Outside the I, parks, I think I do because you. We actually <laughs> is this if you're referring to what we talked about in our Mr. Toad sequence. Is this what we're, where you're where you're going? I have no idea. Refresh my memory. What was I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Are we talking about the painted mural in downtown in downtown Disney World of Disney? No, but that would have been next on my list. <laughs> Let me add that to my notes. I, was, I, I remember. I actually went and sought that out um, when we were down uh, earlier this month. But I only I only remember Toad. I don't remember the Headless Horseman. Yet. No, and I don't know that there is one there. But actually, this is something that I talked about not too long ago. I think I talked about it either as an overlooked attraction or maybe when I was responding to an email. But one thing that Disney does that's so overlooked and is such a wonderful experience that you should take the time to go and do is the Haunted Hayride over at Fort Wilderness. And it is a real, you know, hayride that that is really an attraction in and of itself because you do encounter Ichabod Crane and you do encounter the Headless Horseman. And, uh, you know, I don't want to give too much detail away because I don't want to spoil it for people that are going because it is a bit of a surprise when you do encounter, uh, you know, the Headless Horseman himself. But uh, it's a lot of fun. It's appropriate for for all ages as long as your kids don't get, you know, too freaked out at that kind of stuff. Um, But it's, uh, it's something wonderful, wonderful to do. And you can, like I said, you can basically take, you can leave the Magic Kingdom, take a boat over to Fort Wilderness and the hayride starts uh, right back there. Jeff, have you and your family ever done the uh, haunted wagon ride? No, you've, you've, you've totally surprised me on this one. I had no idea that connection was there. We, we, we stayed at uh, Fort Wilderness a few years ago and it was actually the first time we attended Mickey's Not So Scary and we it was I'm, I'm kind of having a lot of regrets because we were very, very close to doing it and I we had a change in plans and as, as I just said, I had no idea there was a connection to, to Legend of Sleepy Hollow on it. Yeah, I'll put more information about this in the show notes. Because if you are going down in October, it does run on select nights, uh, but very, very often. Almost like every other night. It's not that expensive. It's about $15 for adults and $10 for kids. Uh, kids under three are free. Uh, they usually do like six or so um, runs a night. So you, you definitely have a good chance to do it. But it does sell out, especially, you know, of course, like on Halloween and as you get close to Halloween. And if it does sell out, they'll post a sign in the parking lot. You can actually buy tickets in advance. Um, the hayrides start around six o'clock at night. 
Again, I'll put all the information uh, up in this week's show notes. And if anybody has done it recently or anybody has done it this year uh, and has some pictures they want to share or wants to uh, call in about it, by all means, please call the voicemail and let us know. Um, because, again, I think this is something that, Jeff, this is something we'll, we'll have to definitely plan on doing together next year. Yeah, that would be a great idea. Yeah, we Fort Wilderness is like one of the biggest little hidden treasures of, of Walt Disney World. I know we talk about various things like this, but when you put it all together, there is just so much going on on there. It's a great place to stay. Absolutely. And, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, Mike Scope has come on. He's talked about the Trails End Buffeteria being, you know, without a doubt, one of the best values on property. You know, you talk about bang for your buck dollar wise, what you get. Uh, over at Trails End. You've got, I think the ride over, just taking the ferry from the Magic Kingdom, is a wonderful ride to take over. You have got Hoopty Doo over at Pioneer Hall. You know, there's a lot of great stuff to do over there. I think a lot of people kind of overlook it. And it's, you know, we could talk about this in another segment, but even going to stay in the cabins, um, yeah. you know, is, is a totally different type of Walt Disney World experience. You know, it is clearly not concierge at the beach club, but it's a very different, and, and you know, you go with your family, it could be a very fun experience. I've, I've stayed in the cabins before when I was a kid, and we really, really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's a very, very different atmosphere than most people would associate with the rest of Walt Disney World, and we've, we've stayed quite a number of times. It's one of our favorite places to stay, and it's it, there's just so much to do. Another thing to throw in is the uh, campfire, uh, sing-along campfire movie. Oh, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, we'll have to. De- we'll definitely have to cover on the show uh, Fort Wilderness. You know, the entire resort as an entire segment to really introduce people to all the benefits that it has. But before we close this out, Jeff, I'd be ris- remiss if I didn't mention one other thing uh, because when they were planning Disney World, uh, obviously there, there's always a number of designs and blue sky ideas that Imagineers come up with that never make it from the drawing board into the theme parks and. For Fantasyland, there was actually a number of attractions that Imagineers were coming up with. One based on Mary Poppins, which is obviously wildly successful, Sleeping Beauty, and another one was going to be based on Ichabod Crane and the Headless Horseman, and that was planned for the, for Fantasyland uh, in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. Now, I, I unfortunately have not been able to find any concept art for this, um, but I have heard this from a number of sources, and you know, it begs the question, I wonder what type of attraction that would it have been? Would it have been a ride-through? Would it have been a walk-through? Uh, you know, what what would they have done with that? It's, it's, it's amazing that, you know, when you go back to the early, um, the, actually the late 60s, when all this was in development, you know, um, the, the movie itself was only 20 years old. And I think it, it in its day, it was a very, very popular movie. It preceded Cinderella um, and the, the rest of the movies that kind of snowballed in the 50s, like Peter Pan and Sleeping Beauty and Lady and the Tramp. But it was pretty much a crowd pleaser back then. It just it wasn't one of those sort of more marketable properties that it sort of extended its life further on. But it's it's there. It's a little bit off the radar, but its presence is still out there. I agree. And like I said, I think this is uh, is definitely something that you should check out if you've never seen the film. I'll put a link up in the show notes this week to where you can go and you can find um, the, the Mr. Toad and um, Adventures of Ichabod Crane movie. And uh, I'll also put some photos up in the show notes so you can spot the Ichabod singing lesson signs in uh, in Liberty Square as well as some more information as well and Jeff as always I love doing these character connections especially because we get to really talk about not only the films but their, their tie into Disney World and again with this being Halloween uh, this one was, was perfectly appropriate 
Always have a good time. Thanks, Luke. Some short and fat, some tall and thin, and some don't even bother to wear their skin. I'm telling you, brother, it's a frightful sight to see what goes on in the night. For when the spooks have a midnight jamboree, they break it up with fiendish glee. Ghosts are bad, but the one that's cursed is the headless horseman. He's the worst when he goes a jogging across the land, holding his noggin in his hand. Demons take one look and grow. We have time for just a few emails this week, and the first one comes from Joey, who writes, Are there any other things to do on Halloween night other than the hayride? Any place to go trick-or-treating? We'll be at MGM that day. People do dress up at the parks or during the day, or is it just usually at night? We could always go back to the hotel and change into our costumes. I love being a kid while at the parks, but I also don't like looking like the only one who didn't get the memo as to what or what is not appropriate. Thanks, and P.S., any good ideas for a five-year-old's birthday... His birthday is November 1st, and we'll be at the Magic Kingdom that day. Well, Joey, obviously, if you want to do something on Halloween and you're able to still get in and you do want to go trick-or-treating, the best thing to do is obviously Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. That's over in the Magic Kingdom. That starts around 7 o'clock at night, so you'll have time to go to MGM during the day. Uh, I'd probably suggest not going to MGM in the full, you know, in costume all day, going back to your room, changing, because it's a long time to be dressed up and if you can go to the party that night there's lots of special events and things you can do there's the parades there's the fireworks there's trick-or-treating all around the parks really really something he could enjoy uh unfortunately too bad his birthday is the first because you could actually go to the party on the 31st and the second they actually don't have it on the first that would have been a great tie-in to kind of combine the two but at some of the resorts, if you don't want to go to the party, um, I know in the past you could do some trick-or-treating at some of them. Some had things like haunted treasure hunts and games by the pool, pumpkin carving, things like that. What you should do is check with your resort when you get there, find out, get a schedule of events, find out if they're doing anything special for Halloween. So maybe you can leave the park early and then go back to the hotel or kind of do a combination of, um, of, of them both. But as far as your son's birthday... First and foremost, tell anybody and everybody. Tell every cast member you see. Let them know whenever you go to the parks, even if it's not specifically his birthday, go to Guest Relations. They'll give you a free uh, Today is My Birthday button. Not that you're going to be guaranteed anything, but a lot of times you might even get a little bit of extra special treatment from the cast members. Uh, If you're looking for some other special things to do, maybe you want to go for a favorite uh, character meal for some of his favorite characters. If you're going to be at the Magic Kingdom that day, you can maybe go see Pooh and Friends for breakfast over at the Crystal Palace or for lunch you can go to Liberty Tree Tavern you can see uh, Minnie and Chip and Dale uh, what else you might want to do too speaking of character is find out who what his favorite character is ask cast members when and where that character may be going around for autographs maybe buy him an autograph book have him go around and collect um, autographs from all the different characters when they see their their button his button uh, chances are they may make a big deal out of it for him too so it might even be something extra special I want to answer this next question right away for anybody that may be making plans to try and be in attendance because Mike Phelps wrote in and said, Lou, great podcast this week. I love the discounted ticket segment. Quick question. Do you know when the Christmas parade will be taping this year? I probably could look online at the forums, but I just don't have the time. Thanks again for your hard work and dedication. Mike, they're actually going to be taping the Christmas Day Parade at Walt Disney World in the Magic Kingdom on November 30th and December 1st, 2007. If you do want to be in attendance, I highly, highly recommend getting there 
very, very early. Um, it's usually very crowded on those days because people do know they are taping the parade. Um, there's obviously a lot of things that are kind of blocked off, especially on Main Street, um, for all the taping and things like that, but it's a lot of fun. And uh, so I said, like I said, on the 30th and December 1st. Next email says, Lou, I thoroughly enjoyed your show covering the Epcot 25th anniversary celebration. The interviews and reports helped create a wonderful, vivid mental image of the event. I'm encouraged by Disney participating in what began as a grassroots fan-based event. It illustrates to me the value they place on the fans and the common bond that exists among people that are drawn to Walt Disney World again and again. My wife and I will be visiting Walt Disney World October 28th through November 1st. Do you know if there will be any visible signs of the 25th anniversary celebration remaining? I enjoy your show and appreciate the work you do. I look forward to each episode. I learn something new each time I listen. And as for length, I'm there. Thank you for that email. As far as um, evidence of Epcot's 25th anniversary celebration that are still going on, from what I understand, the Epcot exhibit is still in Inventions West and still should be open when you go there. It's something I highly recommend you go in to see. I think you're really going to enjoy that. There's a lot of concept artwork as well as uh, real scale models, uh, props from some of the old attractions like Horizons. You'll also see some old uh, memorabilia from the park. If you also go right outside the exhibit, there's a really nice, big, beautiful visual timeline of the history of Walt Disney World um, that I think you really enjoy too. So definitely head on over and check that out. As far as anything else is concerned, I think that's probably all you're going to see kind of visibly uh, that's left over from the celebration. Next email comes from Puerto Rico and it says, Lou, I love your podcast. It's very interesting and I and it has lots of information. I hope to see you in MouseFest. I'm planning to visit Disney and other parks in the Orlando area from November 23rd through December 20th. Yes, it's a long vacation, and yes, I need it. But I have a question that maybe you can answer. I'm overweight, 300 pounds, and you know if some attractions have a weight limit or if I can fit in all of them? I don't want to, make, I don't want to spend time in line if I can't use the attraction. This is a serious issue for me and for other overweight people in the country. I love Disney. This will be my fifth visit. My last was in 2003. Please let me know by email, or if you use this for a podcast topic, please don't mention my name. I have many friends to, that listen to your podcast, and I'm very shy. Thanks for any of the information you can find out for me. Well, thank you for the email, and there's no need to be shy, because there are a lot of people that may be what we call poo-sized, but that's okay, because Disney is very, very, very accommodating. It's probably one of the most accommodating places that you'll find anywhere. And they really go out of their way to make sure that as many guests as possible can enjoy as many or all the attractions. Um, there are a few that may present a certain issue like uh, Mission Space or Expedition Everest, but a lot of those actually have test vehicles. So, for example, Expedition Everest, before you get in line, ask a cast member, tell them that you're concerned about being able to fit comfortably in the seat. There's a vehicle um, off to the side that you can go and sit in and see if you can get in there comfortably. Like I said, this is a, an issue for a lot of people, and you, you said the same in your email. And there's a couple of resources that I want to point you out to. And, and the first one is allearsnet.com. They have an entire section called Walt Disney World at Large. I'll put a link up in the show notes for you so you can get right to this specific pages. There are trip reports and lists of attractions that people had either no problem or problems with. There's photo galleries that they put in there of a lot of the seats so you can get an idea of what you may or may not fit comfortably into. There's also a forum over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com where you can go and discuss some of these issues or concerns with other people that are going or have been to the parks. They're very, very friendly. They're very helpful and should be able to answer any of your questions directly one-on-one. -on -one. Again, check the show notes this week. I'll put links up to all those resources for you. 
Next email says, Hey Lou, I'm an ultra-huge fan of you and your radio show and all that you do for us Disney geeks. I'm also proud that you're a fellow New Jerseyan, but here's my question. Would you know what now is the former site of the Disney World Villas back from the mid-80s? My first time to Walt Disney World was in September of 1985 and went with my best friend and his family. Since then, I've been to Disney World about 14 times, and back in 1985, we stayed at this wonderful condo-like home that had an upstairs and downstairs and felt like we were in somebody else's home rather than in Disney. But I was told we stayed in the Disney World Villas. I'd like to go back now. I'm going uh, later on this year from December 7th through the 17th, and I reminisce about my very first time at Disney. If I'm even allowed to set foot in that property without a reservation, please never stop doing what you do for all of us and keep up the good work. That comes from Andy Raymond from New Jersey. Andy, thank you very much for that email. Let's go back a little bit in time and talk about where you stayed when you first there. Yes, you were on property. And yes, you did stay in what was a planned residential community for Walt Disney World. Uh, this this was back going to maybe like June of 1973. It was going to be called Lake Buena Vista. It later became the Disney's Village Resort, had actually a number of different names uh, during that time. There were a lot of different types of villas that they had. There were vacation villas and fairway villas. There were the treehouse villas, which, which are personal favorites of mine, club villas. And what maybe you stayed in was one of the Grand Vista Suites. And, and these were large homes that really were built as model homes for what was going to be this planned residential area. In 1996, all these villas became part of the Disney Institute. Now, what the Disney Institute was, was basically uh, sort of an educational program where guests could stay for a minimum of three nights. That's that's where you had to stay at the beginning. And you could sort of get a little bit of education with your vacation and learn things like photography and animation, cooking, TV production, um, sports like golf and tennis instructions. You could learn gardening. That unfortunately or fortunately, did not go over maybe as well as Disney had hoped. They what In 2002, they announced that this property, which was now the Disney Institute, would be, cre- would be transformed in a series of phases into a new Disney Vacation Club or DVC property, which is now the Saratoga Springs Resort. That opened in 2004. This might actually be a good topic for us to address on a future show, really kind of get into the history of Saratoga Springs talk about the Disney Institute more in depth as well as the Disney Village Resort and the Village Resort and all the kind of different names and the different villas that there were back um, during that time. Last email says, Dear Lou, the last weekend in October, I'll be enjoying the wonderful world of Floridian Disney. Me and my family, mainly me, are experienced Disney vacationers and I'm the resident dedicated Disney file. We'll be taking a friend of mine who hasn't been on property since she was three and has never been in the parks. When she was three, her sister and her fiancé at the time told her they were going to Disney World. She went with them, and all they did was go to a guitar shop. She was heartbroken. I was wondering about this elusive guitar shop that she remembers. What was it? Does it still exist? Not that I think she wants to go back based on her first experience, but since one of the big exciting aspects of the trip for her is that she'll finally get to, to see the characters. We're planning to attend a character meal, but I was wondering which would be best. We're all a fan of normal food, nothing too fancy. I'd like for her to get to see some of the mainstream characters at the meal, like the Fab Five, instead of out-of-the-way characters. I think she'd be thrilled either way, but it would still be nice for her to meet some of the major characters. Love the new show, Andrew B. Andrew, first questions first. Uh, what I think she's talking about most likely was the Guitar Gallery, and that was located in downtown Disney on the west side. That was across from the Virgin Megastore, not on the main kind of thoroughfare, but on the little walkway to the parking lot. It was a small store, I believe, on the corner. 
and they sold you know hundreds of different uh, custom and rare and collector guitars from all over the world they had imported. I think there was also a lot of accessories and sheet music, whatnot. I do not believe that store is still there anymore. I may very well be wrong, but uh, when I was at the signing at the Virgin Megastore, I do not believe that that store was still there. But you can definitely double-check next time you go down, but that's the only store I could think of that she's probably referring to. As far as character meals, if she wants to try and get you know the most out of the meal that she can and see most of the mainstream characters, like you said, the first thing that came to my mind right out of the box was to go to Chef Mickey's, preferably for breakfast over uh, the Contemporary Resort. It's a nice way to, to start off your day before you go to the Magic Kingdom, for example, and you'll see Mickey and Minnie and Goofy and Pluto and Chip and Dale. So you'll get, you know, most of the Fab Five, you get kind of the four of the Fab Five out of that, and uh, it's really, really a fun, enjoyable meal. And depending on some of the other characters that you like, there are other opportunities Uh, throughout the parks that you can go to. The Liberty Tree Tavern, like I mentioned earlier, for lunch, will give you mini. It'll also give you um, Pluto and Chippendale, I believe, for lunchtime. If she wants to see princesses, there's plenty of other places to go. Um, But I think best bet for single character meal for the most kind of the Fab Five characters would probably be Chef Mickey's. So that's going to do it for this week's email section. Like I said, I know I still have a lot more emails to get to, but please, by all means, still keep those emails coming. You can send it to Lou at WDWRadio.com. That's going to do it for this week's show. Happy Halloween, and thank you again for tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. My thanks, as always, to Jeff Pepper, as well as Tim Foster from GuideToTheMagic.com, as well as you for listening to the show. On our show notes page, you can also find more information and links about the topics that we covered, as well as links to previous episodes of the show. As you heard on last week's show, if you're looking to save money on tickets to Walt Disney World from an authorized and official Disney ticket seller, then visit our show notes page for a link to OrlandoFunTickets.com. Their service, reliability, and convenience have made them the number one Disney ticket company in the area, and they operate the largest vacation center in Orlando, just outside the Walt Disney World gates. With the best prices and highest level of service, I recommend checking out OrlandoFunTickets.com to see how you can save on your next Walt Disney World tickets. On the next few shows, I sit down with another Disney legend who joins me for an interview, as well as more vacation planning tips and advice, another hidden treasure, and so much more. I will be away from November 3rd through the 10th on our trivia cruise aboard the Disney Magic, but I will get a show out before I leave and hopefully another one as soon as I return, and I should have a few announcements when I come back, so be sure and stay tuned. As always, please keep on emailing the show at lou at wdwradio.com, calling in your voicemails, trip reports, anything you like to 206-202-4WDW, that's 206 202-4939. You can also join us all week long, 24 hours a day at our fun and very friendly forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com for discussions about the show and all things Disney. And if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Thank you again to my guests and thanks to you for tuning in again this week. So until next week, I'll see ya. Hi, Lou. Uh, This is Cy Hill from uh, Dallas, Oregon. Uh, Just calling to tell you that... uh, I just finished listening to your October uh, 21st uh, podcast and uh, truly enjoyed it. I enjoy the, uh, the history, um, being out on the West Coast and uh, growing up out here. I never got out to Walt Disney World before um, I was in my uh, 30s 
and uh, truly hearing about all the history and all the trivia of um, Disney World. I'm definitely a huge fan of uh, Disneyland and um, just enjoy soaking up all the information that you have. Um, also, um, enjoy your webpage and glad that you have a MySpace. If uh, any of the listeners haven't checked out your MySpace, go ahead and uh, check that out and uh, look forward to hearing uh, future podcasts. Thanks for what you're doing and keep up the good work. Thank you. Hi, Lou. This is Caleb from Columbus, Indiana, and uh, here at the Orlando Airport. I uh, just had a nice five-day stay at Walt Disney World at the Beach Club, and uh, just want to say thanks a lot for your insight uh, into the American adventure. Uh, this was my 11th trip, and I have to admit that this was the first time uh, having seen that based on your suggestion. Just never ventured back there, and my wife and I both really enjoyed it, and uh, definitely had a chance to see the Voices of Liberty thing as well, and uh, that was really neat too. So, uh, anyway, appreciate it, and I uh, love the show. Thanks. Bye. Last year, the window to the Magic Podcast brought you an unprecedented event. A show unlike any heard before. Thrills, chills, and an adventure beyond your imagination made The Secrets of the Wooden Door an instant classic. Now, as the Halloween season approaches, one might expect this year's show to be twice as good. Well, you'd be dead wrong. Halloween Night 2007, the window to the Magic Podcast will bring you not one, not two, but three separate stories, each designed to get you into the spirit of the holiday. Prepare yourself to go on a spook hunt with the world-famous Ghostbusters. Then... Learn all about the tragic and deadly past of the one and only haunted mansion. And finally, gather everyone close, because the last story is so intense, no one should listen to it by themselves. Ghosts, ghouls, and goblins, all coming your way this Halloween from the window to the magic. Lights out, everyone. Just in time, there's a little matter I forgot to mention. Beware of hitchhiking ghosts. <laughs> Please exit to your left by stepping away from the cars with your left foot first. Step out and stand on the moving platform, please.